It's time to heed the call of the wild and seek the higher calling. Higher Calling is the voice of mountain and forest wildlife and is hosted by award-winning wildlife journalist and conservationist Chester Moore. Be ready for an increase in altitude and a relentless pursuit of the creatures that dwell there. Welcome to Higher Calling Wildlife. This is Chester Moore. I'm very, very excited about this guest. If you've listened to the show long and we did the list of favorite animals, you know my favorite small animal on the whole planet is the black-footed ferret, an endangered species that was almost gone here in North America. And on the line, I have Pete Gober. He is the black-footed ferret recovery coordinator for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Welcome to Higher Calling Wildlife. Thank you, sir. It's an honor and privilege to have you here. So just to start things off, I mean, a black-footed ferret, I mentioned endangered species, but why would a black-footed ferret need a recovery coordinator in a recovery program? Well, black-footed ferrets are an iconic species of the grasslands mm-hmm. of the western United States, and those grasslands have been pretty severely impacted mm-hmm. by a number of things. Black-footed ferrets depend on prairie dogs for both food and shelter, their uh, rodent is about the same size as a blackfoot ferret, so you can imagine there's a pretty good tussle when a ferret decides he needs to have something to eat. Mm-hmm. But prairie dogs were impacted by farming in the eastern portion of the ferret's range and later on by poisoning to reduce a competition with domestic livestock because prairie dogs eat grass just like cows and sheep. And finally, impacted by sylvatic plague, which is the same disease as uh, the Black Death of medieval Europe. Mm -hmm. And ferrets and prairie dogs don't have much resistance to that disease. So they occurred from Mexico to Canada, and as you say, in Texas, and from the Missouri River back west into the mountains across 12 states. But by the time uh, we thought we pulled the last ferrets out of the wild to start a captive breeding program, Uh, We had thought they were extinct in 1980, and then the last population was found in northwestern Wyoming. Um, It got up as high as about 120 animals before disease hit it, too. And then 18 animals were brought into captivity, but only seven of them managed to breed and perpetuate their line. One animal that was brought in from captivity, Willa, did have young, but those young did not breed. And so we lost that one-eighth of the variability within the genome when willow wasn't available to carry on through her offspring. Uh, but Wyoming Game and Fish uh, took some tissues from willow, not really knowing how they might be used in the future because that technology hadn't come about yet. Dolly the sheep was still in the future. Mm-hmm. And they sent them to the frozen zoo at San Diego. And they've been held there for 32 odd years before the technology was available from some of our partners, uh, Revive and Restore and the San Diego Zoo and Viagen Pets. Viagen does this for dogs and cats and horses and uh, had done it recently with uh, Przewalski's horse, which is an mm-hmm. endangered species, but yes, not, of course, native to North America. So we're just following in the footsteps of folks who have done this kind of work in the agricultural world and have done it with other species. But Elizabeth Ann is the first cloned U.S. listed endangered species. 
And that's really incredible. I sat there and saw the news release, and I'm like, they cloned a black-footed ferret. And there's so much to unpack here. I mean, the foresight alone of a fish and game department before this technology was basically, it was science fiction back then. And now you have this potential of, of a new conservation um or basically a new conservation avenue potentially. But I know so that there's also got to be some concern. So in terms of this cloning situation, obviously she didn't grow up in a, in a tube somewhere. So I take it there was some kind of a process where she was put into a, a, another mother ferret? Correct. These tissues, uh, which were stored in California at the San Diego Zoo, mm-hmm. were grown, brought, thawed, brought and grown. DNA was instra- extracted from them. Okay. Um, they were shipped to a lab that Biogen had, and basically they washed the DNA out of a domestic ferret egg and then inserted this DNA into that egg and then planted it into a domestic ferret surrogate. And then, you know, they have a pretty short gestational period. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that was all done in late October and November this past fall. And Elizabeth Ann was born on December the 10th. She um, was, whatever, 75-odd days old today. And I think tomorrow we will wean her okay. and um, uh, move her in and house her close to black-footed ferrets so she can pick up on the cues of being around black-footed ferrets rather than her domestic ferret uh, surrogate mom. Yeah, the domestic ferret surrogate moms, that's a pretty fascinating story right there. Another avenue of conservation. I mean, you might not want to risk one of the other ferrets, or I don't know what the reason for that, but that's pretty interesting. Well, you hit on a good point there. Biogen's lab didn't have the the facilities Mm -hmm. to take care of black-footed ferrets. We did in Colorado, Mm -hmm. so this tissue went from California to a Viagen lab elsewhere and then back to Colorado for the actual birthing. You know, the beyond adding this one genetic line to the captive breeding program that we have now, and by the way, we've got about 300 animals in, in captivity now, 200 of them at our facility, the Fish and Wildlife Service facility in Colorado, <laughs> and we've released 100 to 200 annually for several years, but yes, it's sir. been really hard to get them sick in the wild because of, of disease. Mm-hmm. I've, I've uh, The twist on what you said earlier to me has occurred to, that, you know, if you think they didn't know what they were doing back in 1988 and how these tissues might be used, what does 30 years from now bring wow. in terms of the possibilities to perhaps modify the genome to resist disease and not have to have expensive and logistically difficult disease management efforts in the field where you're trying to get them to stick on the landscape in the wild. That, that's So I can't imagine what uh, 20, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just interviewed someone a few months ago uh, in Washington doing research on domestic sheep to try to create domestic sheep that doesn't get pneumonia so they can use those domestic sheep to graze in areas with bighorns, which, of course, get pneumonia and die really quickly. So who knows what's on the horizon, right? Right, right. Uh, And again, the agricultural community has broken a lot of ground here for endangered species conservation. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, really fascinating. Think of everybody knows about Dolly. If you know anything about cloning Dolly the sheep, and um, a lot of neat stuff going on in that realm. But black-footed ferrets are, of course, an icon of the prairies. And uh, I mean, I have two ferrets in my house here. Uh, we have a children's outreach we use with animals for kids that are troubled and kids are dealing with terminal illness and stuff. And ferrets are one of our ambassadors. We always hand them out little cards with black-footed ferret information on it and where to go to learn about them. And uh, kids love when they learn about that there's a ferret in America. 
And uh, I, I guarantee, especially for those kids that are really tech-centered kids and science-centered kids, this will be a fascinating story. We're going to take uh, the domestic uh, surrogate mom and put her in a museum in Fort Collins and bring her out to help tell that story. Wow. Because they have a black-footed ferret display there with uh, retired black-footed ferrets. So they'll be able to compare the species and talk about the cloning effort and an educational program, which I think will be pretty cool. All the kids will love it. Absolutely. Now, in terms of uh, this program, I mean, is this something you're planning on uh, putting out in the wild right now? Are you still testing and looking at the genetics and how that might work out? Uh, Elizabeth Ann will live her life out in captivity, Mm -hmm. and if we produce a few additional clones for comparative purposes, they will as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We won't be releasing any of these animals into the wild. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll be working with our American Zoo Association and our uh, zoo partners to continue to manage the, the pairing and breeding of these animals to where we can maximize the genetic diversity that we can add to the captive population. So they're much too valuable to be released into the wild at this point in time. But in the future, we, we hope to have uh, use this material and have additional clones for, for breeding purposes. It's really fascinating to think about the fact that there were those seven, very similar to the Red Wolf story with only 14 animals originally. And and then you have, you know, the eighth one there that's now kind of back in the game again. So providing some different DNA, I know that's very, very important, stopping genetic bottlenecks and things like that. But in terms of the overall picture now of the Blackfooted Ferret program, there was potentially looking at a few years back um, a release in Texas. I know plague hit an area and some different things happened. Is it still a program where you're looking at other potential areas that have not received Blackfooted Ferrets to be able to receive ferrets in the wild? We put ferrets out at 30 different sites in eight states, Mexico and Canada. Mm-hmm. There's been interest in uh, ferrets in Texas. Mm-hmm. We've come close a few times, but then it's unraveled for one reason or another yep. because you've got to have all the stars aligned. You've got to have sure. the biological situation squared away. Mm-hmm. You've got to have uh, your state agency okay with being involved in the program. Mm-hmm. And we're still working on that, but we haven't been able to break the ice in Texas yet. Uh, the closest we've come is New Mexico. Okay. We've got black-footed threats across the line in New Mexico. People coming together from the landowner in Wyoming who, you know, the, you found those original few animals to uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, state agencies, tribal agencies, really have made an iconic comeback for an American animal. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by the fact that you've got different kinds of biologists working on this, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next guys work at the subcellular level, and mm-hmm. the vaccine people work at the cellular level, and then you've got zoo people who are dealing with individual animals on a daily basis, and then you've got the, the folks in the field who are dealing with populations and, and fighting disease. So it's a lot of different kinds of biologists even involved. Yeah, it's a, it's a really a fascinating creature, and um, you know, think about that little mustelid out there in the uh, on the on the on the prairies, and and eating an animal that's its size. You know, I mean, that's a you know, it reminds me of a mink a little bit. We have mink down here in the coastal marsh of Texas, and they'll tussle with about anything. Yeah, you you hit on a good point. Given your interest in ferrets, I'll mention that one of the little factoids that's passed out to us is relative to skull size. Black-footed ferrets' canines are longer than any other mammal. Wow, that's pretty interesting stuff. I have to use that next time I break my ferrets out for the kiddos. We very much appreciate Mr. Gober calling into the program and explaining this unique situation and sharing with us the technology used to create Elizabeth Ann. 
We'll be keeping up with this program and everything with Blackfooted Ferrets here at Higher Calling Wildlife. If you want more information about the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and their ferret recovery efforts, go to fws.gov. You've been listening to The Higher Calling, hosted by the wildlife journalist Chester Moore. Contact him at chester at chestermoore.com. Follow him at thechestermoore on Instagram and his blog at highercalling.net.